to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. We talk a lot about air travel on this show because it's a big part of the travel experience for many. And something very surprising happened recently. To help me discuss this latest, I don't know if the word shocker is right, but uh, it, yeah, for those in the industry, this was kind of a shocker. I have William McGee on the line. He is from the American Economic Liberties Project, which is a wonderful organization that helps try and bolster consumer rights. Bill is a an aviation expert. Hey, Bill, thank you so much for coming back to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you, Pauline. It's always a pleasure. So break the news. What was the the really surprising development that happened just recently. Sure. Well, as I'm sure you know, and many, many know, JetBlue and Spirit have been trying to merge now for almost a year. They announced their uh, engagement last year. And um, as someone who has been in the trenches fighting against uh, corporate power, particularly in the airline industry and and, uh, fighting for passengers, we at American Economic Liberties Project, we've been opposed to this for a while. And the other day, we were uh, really uh, happily surprised to see that not one, but two government agencies also expressed opposition. And that's really unprecedented. You know, I don't, I don't speak in hyperbole about these things, but yeah. both the Department of Justice, they filed suit to prevent the merger. And that's wow. good, but it's not without precedent. And once or twice in the past, they have, uh, they've opposed mergers, but not lately. They've had a rubber stamp that I think they're running out of ink on. So there's clearly a new team at the DOJ. And then no sooner was I watching the, the press conference with the Department of Justice announcing this and saying, that's great. And we were, we were praising that through a press release. Um, we turned stations and we see that there's Secretary Buttigieg from the Department of Transportation also expressing opposition to this merger, huh. that it would be harmful to consumers. We could not agree more, and we give full credit. I think you know, you and I have spoken. I've been uh, critical of Secretary Buttigieg throughout the, all the problems we've had with flight refunds and flight cancellations and things. But more than happy to give credit where it's due, that um, both the DOJ and the DOT are going out to prevent this. And right. Well, let me let me break in here. Sure. Yeah. Because I think probably some of our listeners are are thinking, well, okay, so the government is interfering in private industry. Why is this a good thing? Why is the the merger of these two airlines so bad? Well, it's a great question and I think the simplest answer is when you look at this very troubled industry, and I would go further and I would say the industry is broken as far as airline service hmm. in the US, when you look at all the problems, I think there's a very clear thread running through it. And consolidation is, I, I've been referring to it recently as the original sin. It's its the thing that has caused so much of the grief that we experience. And when I say we, I mean consumers, I mean labor, I mean travel hmm. agents, I mean entire cities and, and regions of the country. Um, huh. And and so I really think everything needs to be put in perspective here. When you look at the history of the airline industry, the first ticket was sold in 1914. So it's about 110 years old now. Wow. When you look across the history there, we have never in the United States ever have been in the position that we're in now. And what I mean by that is we have never had so few scheduled passenger airlines ever, not since the hmm. 19 teens when it was starting up. We have never 
had the level of concentration at the top that we have now. We effectively have an oligopoly. We have four airlines, American, Delta, and United, and then also Southwest, that together command about 80% of the market. All throughout the 20th century and into this century, when the when there were so many more players, no no airline had more than 10, 12% market share. Even the biggest ones, Pan Am, TWA, wow. Eastern back in the day, um, certainly not American United Delta. And now that's what we're faced with. So I've personally, before I joined American Economic Liberties Project, you know, I've been kicking around this industry for a while and I spent many years at as a as a passenger advocate at Consumer Reports. And I've personally testified against um, mergers. I joke about it. It's not really that funny that my batting average is perfect. It's 0. 0.000. You know, every every <laughs> every time I testified, oh. the merger, the rubber stamp came out and it was approved. And that's including those big mergers that we remember from 15 years ago with uh, American and U.S. Airways and Delta and Northwest and United and Continental. You know, we went from the big six to the big three almost overnight within a, just a few right. years. All of these problems uh, that we have in the industry now, I really believe this, Pauline. I think we can trace a lot of it to this consolidation. I don't think people realize this. We just went 14 years from 2007 to 2021 without a single new airline in the United States, passenger scheduled airline. That's unprecedented. I went back and I did, huh. I did the research, not in the pre-regulated period, not in the regulated period, not in the deregulated huh. period, all the way back, more than 100 years. We have never had such, such a dry spell. Um, hmm. Virgin America started up in 2007. And then two years ago in 2021, we got the two new guys, and that's uh, Avello and Breeze. I, right. I've flown both of them. I just flew Breeze myself a few weeks ago to Los Angeles. And, um, you know, we, the, the whole promise of deregulation, I've gone back, I've been researching it extensively lately. I've been going to the, the library at Yale University in Connecticut and, and, and doing research and reading the, the transcripts from the hearings. The, one of the central promises of deregulation in 1978 was that there was going to be more service, more new entrants, huh. you know, customers wow. have more choice. Well, in that sense, I don't think anyone can argue anymore. Deregulation has been a failure just on that basis because, as we know, we now have fewer carriers. We have more dominant carriers you know, uh, at the top of the industry, and we have fewer new entrants. Um, these are direct, direct violation of what deregulation was supposed to do. And so you know, when I was testifying and others against some of these mergers in Congress, we were saying 15 years ago... Well, you know, the airline industry is approaching the too big to fail threshold, uh, just like we yeah. saw with the banks after the economic crisis, right? And, uh, you know, that argument is over now. Um, there's no question that the airline industry has gotten too big to fail. Any one of those it's four. It's failing spectacularly. Yeah, no, I mean, Southwest yeah, exactly. uh, stranded two million people. And then last summer, you had constant cancellations constant. because they couldn't get their acts together. Absolutely. And so- you know, the argument about whether or not the, the industry was approaching the too big to fail threshold, that's over. I mean, when when the when COVID hit and the bailouts, they weren't even discussed in terms of should there be a bailout. It was just how much we yeah. uh, we right now, American, Delta, United and Southwest, none of those four can afford to fail at this point. So we we the taxpayers. We have the worst of both worlds, right? Because hmm. we, we socialize the losses and we, the taxpayers, pay for the bailouts, but they privatize the profits, right? And they, they, they plow it back into stock buybacks and executive bonuses. And, you know, what do we get for it? So I, I, I know this, it sounds like I'm coming up with cute phrases, but I honestly believe this. I've said it before that 
the the airline industry now in the United States, it's not just that it's too big to fail. It's too big to care. Uh, you know, they just... Mm. The big guys don't compete with each other anymore. American Delta and United. Right. Remember the remember when we used to hear about fair sales? Remember those days? Remember when, you know, there would be, oh, 30% off because, you know, or bring a companion for free, that type of thing. Right, it's right. All, I mean, we haven't seen that in 20 years. Well, so we know that it's bad for consumers because A, uh, we're not seeing sales. B, there's been incredible chaos in the skies and at our airports in the last year, something we couldn't even have imagined 15 right. years ago, just the right. number of cancellations. But how you, you said earlier that it hurts, um, it hurts municipalities yes. and it also hurts the workers. I want to hear how those two entities are affected by this monopoly. Sure, sure. Let's start with labor and then we can talk about the bigger picture with entire regions. Um, you know, I'm a former airline employee myself and and ironically, my airline career ended through merger because um, I was an operations manager for the Pan Am shuttle and it was uh, acquired by Delta and it became mm -hmm. the Delta shuttle. And an executive from Delta came in, and of course we were all you know nervous and worried. Would we have jobs? Will we be you know will we be hired by Delta? An executive from Atlanta flew up and said to me, brought me in a room and said, um, you know, you're one of the ones we'd like to keep. And I said, great, so I can continue with my work. He said, yeah. The only thing is, um, you're not going to be doing it out of LaGuardia. You're going to be doing it out of Atlanta at our at our operations. And I said, well, when would this be? He said, four days from now. <gasps> so I was given 96 hours to make a decision. I was married. My my wife at the time was in oh, a PhD my. program at NYU, <laughs> and I was told on a Thursday, if you want a job, be in, in Atlanta at nine o'clock Monday morning. And so that's when I left the industry. That was my <laughs> that was my calling card. Okay, enough is yeah. enough. And that's when I started writing about the industry and advocating for passengers. So uh, you know, I've 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 had personal experience on this, but the bottom line is um, every airline has winners and losers on labor, and usually more losers sure. than winners. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about the union perspective. One union, for example, is opposed to this merger. Another one is in favor of it. That's not surprising hmm. because, you know, would you rather be a flight attendant for Spirit or would you rather be a flight attendant for JetBlue? So the, the, sure. you know, the union representing Spirit flight attendants said, you know, yeah, we're for this. But the Transport Workers Union has said we're against it. But, you know, what gets overlooked, Pauline, is that an awful lot of uh, people that work in the airline industry, in fact, A, they're not in unions or B, they're not even working directly for the airlines. So you have you know, for example, Spirit has a headquarters in Florida. There's about 325 people there. Well, what's going to happen to them? Most of them are not unionized. You're not going to have huh. two marketing departments. You're not going to have two sales departments, two communications departments. Every merger means that people are going to get laid off. If they sure, if they weren't, sure. then why why merge? I mean, just continue right. to operate as you're going. So there's that. But then the other thing is that, and you and I have talked about this, you know, the tremendous outsourcing that the airline industry does. So many of the frontline workers, they don't work for Spirit or for JetBlue. They work for paper companies that you've never heard of, service companies. Huh. And they're the ones loading the bags, transporting the bags, uh, in some cases, checking people in, pushing the wheelchairs, catering the planes, huh. cleaning the planes. Those are all outside companies, and regardless of what their uniform says. And so who's going to protect them? So, you know, but beyond, labor always beyond, gets hurt. Yeah, but so labor gets hurt. Uh, it's tragic when people lose jobs, but and this may be a cynical question. Does the monopoly mean that when labor wants to get something done, they can't do it in a way that that workers in other industries do it, say by uh being above board? 
uh, about their uh, the way they want to get things? Does it lead to more sick outs? Does it lead to chaos, basically? Uh, because there there's there's so few places for people in this industry to go. Well, you you raise a great point, and 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 an even larger question is. So few places. What about people leaving the industry altogether? I mean, we have seen huh. this mass exodus of pilots, and so right. you know, whenever I use the term pilot shortage, I'm putting air quotes around it. You know, because it's like, is there a shortage of pilots in this country? Not according to the major unions who have done the research. In terms of you know, licensed pilots that are able to work, they're out there. But are they willing to work for the wages that the industry is paying, particularly at the smaller regional airlines? That's the problem. You know, and so yeah. you look at Southwest and they are, they, it's like, you know, a revolving door there now. There are just so many pilots that have left Southwest and continue to leave because their pay is not at all comparable to other large airlines like United and, and uh, Delta. Hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's that aspect of it. And, and so you're right. I mean, I, look, I feel for labor. I don't, I, you know, I, I, I'm never going to criticize a labor organization that says, well, we're in favor of a union because they're trying to do what's best for their their workers. I get it. That's their that's their sure. number one job. But the bigger picture here is this is bad news. I mean, this is just bad news. The consolidation, in the end, it's going to hurt labor as as, as much as it hurts anybody because the, the fewer airlines there are, the less bargaining power you have, right? I mean, right. That, yeah. that's just the reality. But, of course. Uh, so, so there's the labor aspect. But, you know, we were talking about the larger picture with the entire cities and regions. With the uh, the mega mergers, when we when we saw the major hub and spoke airlines merge, when you know United and Continental, Delta and Northwest, American and U.S. Airways, I sat there in Congress, Paulie, and I was right there testifying along with others. And there were airline executives sitting three feet to my right, and they were asked under oath, you know, well, do you have any plans to lay anyone off at this time? Well, not at this time, Senator. You know, do you have any plans to close any hubs? Not at this time, Senator. So what is the time? Well, the time is about five minutes after it's approved, right? (laughs) And so what we have seen, and and this is the really remarkable thing, no one has really sort of quantified the harms of all of this consolidation. We know there have been harms. But I think, you know, you and I are both in the greater New York area, so we, you know, we can speak to this. I think those in, in, in places like New York and Washington are in a bit of a bubble because as, huh. as much consolidation as it's been, we're still better off than most of the country because we do have some choices. Sure. And if you want to get away to Florida when the weather's cold, you have a bunch of low cost choices, you know? Well, the rest of the country doesn't. Okay. And, and hmm. when you look at a map of the United States, I could draw a, a straight line from like anything west of Minnesota and east of Washington state. Those are all red states, by the way. Politically, they're all very red. They are the ones that are most harmed by all this consolidation. They don't have hubs. They've lost flights. They've lost nonstop flights. They've lost routes. They've lost frequency of flights. I mean, these are the things that hurt entire communities and all of this through mergers. And with them, by well, the way, we're also talking about some big cities that have lost, you know, hubs like Pittsburgh and huh. Cleveland and Cincinnati and St. Louis. You lose a hub, your city gets hurt. You, you don't even have, so, you, you know, you, you lose corporations. Oh, you lose corporations. So it's not just that it's no longer convenient right. to go to Pittsburgh. Right. The problem is businesses move out if you no can't question. get to in front of the cities. And, and who wow. protects that? Now, in the in the regulated era prior to 1978 with the Civil Air and Oxford, that never would have happened because they 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 required that the airlines put resources where the populations were, right? So it was it was pretty sensical in that, you know, Chicago had more flights 
than, you know, than Dubuque. And that's, that's how it was. Sure. And, and it's hard to sort of argue with that logic. Well, now when it's the quote unquote free market, you put your planes where you think you can make the most money. So if that means you're going to run a whole bunch of flights from Florida and Las Vegas, you know, then that's what you do. Well, you know, what about larger cities? So we have seen that in, in big cities, like I say, Cincinnati, Cleveland, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, they have lost hubs and they've had corporations pack up and go away. Because if you're a corporation, you're not going to have your sales force take four flights a day instead of two. I mean, you're just not. You're not going to say, well, we're going to you know, have all that lost time for our employees and they're going to spend half the day in Dallas, Fort Worth or Chicago O'Hare. You're just not. And, and there has, so this is what's really remarkable to me. When I first joined American Economic Liberties Project last year, the very first thing they asked me to do, in fact, even before I joined them, they said, would I, would I write a paper for them? And would I write comments for the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission on the effects of mergers? And I did. And I said, this wasn't specific to Spirit or JetBlue, it was just in general. And I said, we should call for a moratorium on all mm. airline mergers until for once, for once, get out a rearview mirror and let's look at the harmful effects of what we already have. And, and Pauline, it's mind boggling to me that the Department of Justice and the Department of Transportation, not once have they gone back and look at all those broken promises. I mean, yeah. I was sitting right there when these airline executives said, well, we have no plans at this time. Well, we, we never go back and say, well, what have been yeah. the consequences? So to me, well, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, we're in um, Groundhog Day, where we just like we just get out the rubber stamp and say, "Okay, let's 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 approve another one." Finally, yeah. finally, the DOJ is standing up now and saying, "No, enough." Well, they're saying no enough, and that's great. So somebody read your paper, Bill. Congratulations. <laughs> Wish I could take credit, but uh, <laughs> but sure, but, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> what's next? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, it, it, right. I know under Teddy Roosevelt. And this is going way back right, in American right, right. history. Right. Some big corporations were broken up. Right. Do well, you think that could ever happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It, I mean, at this point, we think everything should be on the table. I mean, hmm. you know, I have never in my life, and I'm sure you've encountered this too, Pauline, I've never, in, in, and I've been around this industry since 1985, so that's 38 years. I've never in all that time had so many people, including reporters, and including, by the way, reporters who don't cover the industry normally, people that are taking a fresh eye here, you know, have, have been co- reaching out to me, particularly after the Southwest debacle during the holidays. And they're mm-hmm. saying things to me like, what's wrong with this industry? What, why is it broken? Why is it so different than it used to be? We all know it, right? But a lot of people don't know. Right. And what we're saying at American Economic Liberties Project is, first things first, before we can even try and talk about how to fix things and what needs to be done. These are big issues and you know it requires a big conversation. It's a national conversation. Before we do that, we have to stop the bleeding. And the way to stop the bleeding is to prevent further consolidation. So right. let's shut down JetBlue and Spirit. By the way, let's not forget, the Department of Justice is suing JetBlue twice. They're already suing them over their quote unquote Northeast Alliance with American Airlines. It's not a merger, huh. but it might as well be. You know, they're working with American Interesting. Airlines. So JetBlue basically wants to be in an open marriage, right? They want to be with American <laughs> on one hand and Spirit on the side. And it's like, this is not working, you know? So right. what we're saying is before we can fix the big picture issues, first, first do no harm. You know, first stop with the mergers. Consolidation is really at the root cause of so many of these problems. And so now we can then take, you know, 
advance the conversation and start talking about what needs to be done about the big ones. But the bottom line is we have to stop the mergers first. Yeah. And do you think this will? Well, I, I have to tell you, I think if I was betting uh, when the Department of Justice made its announcement and an hour later, Secretary Buttigieg from the DOT made his announcement, uh, I would say that the odds changed uh, way, way, way against JetBlue and Spirit at this point. Isn't that amazing? You know? wow. and, 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 and for me, it was, just, it was really shocking because if you had told me that a year ago, I would have said, no way. I really, I'm being hmm. very truthful with you. Because yeah. again, I sat there time after time watching the rubber stamp yeah. come out. It's clear that the people at the DOJ and this administration, it's a whole new team and they're looking at things in a new way. And and we're glad of that. I mean, it's it's about yeah. time to look at the bigger picture. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, some good news from you for once, Bill. Yes. I, 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 <laughs> I usually I do feel I bad about like coming on here and saying, "Oh gosh, you don't want to know what's <laughs> happening this week," you know? <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for appearing as always on the Fromer Travel Show. Always a pleasure. Really, anytime. Stephanie Floor is the founder of Around the World Beauty, a beauty and travel company. And I had the delight of meeting Stephanie recently at the Women's Travel Fest. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. Hi, Pauline. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, we're excited to have you. So tell me, what does that mean? What is a beauty and travel company? Yes, our beauty and travel company is called Around the World Beauty. Our, we have a beauty brand that's inspired by global beauty secrets. And then our travel company brings you to the source of our ingredients. So basically, it's beauty field trips for women who are beauty enthusiasts, who love beauty, and want to see the deeper meaning of beauty. So we do products, travel videos, travel experiences, and we're also working on documentary. Wow. Well, it's interesting that you frame this as the deeper meaning of beauty because at the Women's Travel Fest, what they do is they have two speeches going on at the same time. And I wasn't sure which one I would go to. I went to your panel. Uh, I thought I'd learned some tips, but it kind of rocked my worldview Mm -hmm. because I've always thought of travel as a way to get away from the constraints of being a physical being in this world, if that makes sense. Because you're in a place where no one knows you. So who the hell cares how you look? To me, it's always been about looking outwards rather than the world looking at you. But in your talk, you kind of of uh, showed that beauty and our physical envelope is can have a spiritual component and that taking care of that on the road can actually tie you to the destinations. Absolutely. And I love that you said it in that way, because for me, as someone who is some, who works in the beauty industry, first of all, I've worked in the beauty industry for over 20 years. It's all that I've ever mm-hmm. done. It's my passion. I I also, when I started traveling, started searching for products and interesting, unique things that I would learn as I traveled. And But really, the word beauty really translated into an experience of self. 
It is your relationship with feeling beautiful. And for some of us, that's dust in our hair. And for some of us, it's red lipstick when you're feeling down. Beauty is Mm. really powerful. And we see it transcend in different cultures much more differently than we see in the Western world, where in the Western world, it's about being a cookie cutter idea of beauty. Um, Whereas globally, it really is a spiritual, holistic experience. And it changed my life as well, because my mission in life is to show that beauty is very deep. And if you don't feel beautiful from the inside by seeing others, you, you are on a long journey of discovering that beauty is not in a product or in a plastic surgery experience. Like it really is a deeper connected to self experience and connected to others from seeing them outside of just the outside. That's beautifully put. And we'll get to some specific tips because Stephanie gave some amazing ones when she spoke. But When you go to different parts of the world, as you said, they don't necessarily have the cookie cutter vision of beauty that we do. I know as an older woman, I'm not that old, but older than the standard here in the US, it's always a kind of revelatory to go to France where older women are still considered beautiful and still considered I don't know, uh, approachable for <laughs> for love in a certain way or love or or maybe not love, maybe just sex, who knows. What uh, tell it tell me about the the approach to beauty in in certain Latin countries because I know your heritage is Ecuadorian. Uh how does it differ from here in the US? Yeah, well, well I think you, you you hit it on you hit it right. You know, you go to these countries that I'll never forget going to Italy for the first time actually, and just seeing how you really have a great time with all ages, and you see that in Latin America, and that's one of my biggest takeaway is that in Latin America there really isn't a a demographic of young, old, elderly, right? You know, obviously it's obvious, but we're all together, we're all celebrating each other's beauty, and we really take pride in sharing our generational wisdom with one another for younger generations. In the Western culture, it's this whole idea that no, we're separate. We don't need to know about all the ingredients. We we get so um, distracted by the essence of beauty, right? In France is perfume. Perfume is such an essential mm. part of your DNA of who you are with what scents bring you to life versus here where you're just buying perfume randomly because they sold it to you at the store. So that's the same thing with Latin America. There's a huge movement of generational wisdom being shared through grandmother to mother to daughter. And that's what I love learning about when I'm traveling is how are people still sharing this information before one day it's not going to exist? Huh, interesting. And you said at the very beginning that when you lead groups of travelers, you often go to the source of some of the beauty ingredients. Can you give examples of what that means? Absolutely. So being the fact that I work with huge beauty brands here in the US, I'm the spokesperson for a lot of brands like the Body Shop Clinique. I'm usually hired to speak on the power of ingredients. And what I realized was that there were so many ingredients that I had no idea where they came from. Or their story was that, you know, you can use this Amazonian clay mascara and it's going to give you long lasting lashes. Well, I wanted to know why, why is it that this Amazonian clay works? And I wanted to go to the source to that. So I went to Ecuador, which is where my family's from. And I went to the Amazon and I played with that clay to understand what the, you know, what the beauty resources were. And that's what I decided to do for my business. I wanted to take women who work in the beauty realm, who are interested and curious, just as I was, and to actually go to places where beauty still is practiced from a ritual perspective, 
where huh. there's still tons of beauty ingredients that might inspire a new beauty founder in our industry to not only create a brand inspired by the ingredient, but also give back now that you know where it comes from. And also there's so many movements happening, sustainability. There is volcanic clay that we see in Colombia and Mexico. There is the power of scent like oud in the Middle East and in Zanzibar. And so hmm. we go to the source of these places that are still using beauty as a very raw experience. And that's what our beauty field trips are all about. Wow. Well, they sound great. At the panel uh, that I saw you do, you had some very, very practical tips for flying, which can be a stressful experience, not just on our psyches, but also on our skin, on our bodies. Can you share some of the same tips uh, that, that you gave during the speech on what people maybe can do so that they get to their destination, both looking and feeling refreshed. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to share with you my five tips that I always love to tell our audience. And first thing I'll say is beauty is very dimensional. It's not just one way, right? So it's the inner beauty, it's the surface beauty, that's the, the body. And then there's the ethel beauty, which is like the realm that you can't see. So in order for us to be calm in this experience and to really tap into the wellness of travel, you have to kind of like play with all three of those energies. So the first one I'm going to say is let's start with the inside first. Water, okay. water, water. And I spoke mm. about liquid IV, which is this amazing powder product that you put into your water. And it's like you drank 24 glasses of water instantly. Your body wow. just soaks this stuff in and you feel incredibly hydrated. I bring these packets when I travel because when I do a 14 hour flight, no matter how much water I drink, I feel drained. So yeah. water is a huge key component to feeling more relaxed and feeling and looking good because if you're not hydrated, no. you look super dry. Right. Now, before we leave that, the name of, so it's packets that you add to water that make the water, I don't know, what do they do to the water? And what is the name of the product again? Liquid IV, like an IV line at the hospital? Yes. So so that's the name of the product, Liquid IV. And it's a powder form. You put it into your water, you shake it, and it just, it's filled of tons of antioxidants inside of it, tons of good good stuff for the body just to feel hydrated. So I, I just love that product. And I've just been talking about it because I just know how tired I get even when I travel in between countries. And I carry it with me. Um, it used to be Pedialyte. I remember we used to all drink Pedialyte when we traveled. Sure. Now, Liquid IV has kind of taken over. That's easier to travel with and pack. Interesting. Okay, so we have hydrate and do it with this product. What's the next tip? So the next tip is always, always, always moisturize. And the, the tip we were giving at the conference is moisturize with an oil. So there are great travel size oils. We actually sell one with around the world beauty and the oil, the ways in it works is because our skin is made up of oil, you know, and by putting Mm. a little bit of oil onto your temples, onto the third eye and working the product into your skin, it's like your body is saying, thank you. Thank you for giving me so much love. And if you're using oil, the body really understands what the product is. So it really sinks into the pores nicely. And so it's really able to give you that hydrating look without looking dry when you're flying. Is that still the advice for people with oily skin or do they have to do something else? So I have a whole stigma with oily skin because I used to work for Clinique and I learned about the three-step and the dry oil, normal skin. At the end of the day, you know, it's all about how much you're going to put on. So if you have oily skin, you can use oil. There's nothing wrong with it. 
Um, but maybe you wouldn't use as much, or maybe you wouldn't apply more than once on the flight. But at the end of the day, the skin is just going to soak it in anyway. And if it's a really huh. good oil, it's going to be filled of antioxidants, it's going to be filled of really good um, things for your skin. And the goal is for you to just relax. And so it's not so much the product, it's more of that ritual that you create between yourself. So just by and applying so it, it grounds you. So you said a really good oil. So this isn't gasoline that we're putting yeah. on our faces. This isn't olive oil. What What is it? What kind of oil is it? Yeah. Well, the oil market is huge in the beauty industry mm-hmm. right now. So, I mean, you can go with a, um, a natural oil that you find at a Whole Foods. I sell the beauty oil, which is um, at Around the World Beauty. Our oil has baobab in it, has moringa in it, and it has aloe in it, inspired by Global Beauty Secrets. Um, but right now we're living in an oil world where there's tons of oils on the market and great travel sizes as well. So just a little bit of oil really can help um, ground you before you get on a flight and even during. Fascinating. All right. Number three. Okay. Number three is a mist. So a mist works on the ethio on the outer part. Scent is essential for you to feel grounded, but also connected. So obviously I recommend doing this before you get on the flight because on the flight, maybe your neighbor might be allergic or Mm, they're sensitive, mm -hmm. but a nice little um, scent mist into the air. I love rose water. I love anything scented with oud. Just instantly lifts the spirit. You feel a lot lighter just by having a great scent that you can spray onto your face for um, in between a flight if you want, or right before you get on the flight. So it just lifts the energy up a little bit. So I love using a mist spray to kind of wake up the skin and also wake up the energy. Right. Interesting. And I'm glad you said don't put it on on the flight because I know you could really annoy your neighbor. All right. What's number four? Okay. Number four, like you saw at Women's Travel Festival, um, it really is about breathing and stretching. Now, maybe Mm. you're like, is that beauty? Yes. It's all part of the wellness component of feeling and looking and feeling and looking beautiful, right? And like radiating this energy, really taking the time to stretch before the flight with your neck, with your back, with your arms, with your with your legs before you get on the flight and also when you're on the flight walking, walking, walking. And so definitely right, right. getting up and doing so, some sort of movement while breathing is very essential. Now, I want to say another tip connected to this. Moving the body with sound is another way to connect to the ethio realm of beauty, which is the energy around you. Sound is very vibrational and intentional. So by putting a meditation while you're flying or putting some sort of music to really calm the the mind is really, Mm. really good for when you're traveling because we're watching movies, we're falling asleep. Just taking that time again to bring it all back to create that holistic ritual for your flight is very important. So as you're moving, just you know, put on a little bit of music and that's creating that energy of a ritual and vibration as well. So that's something I learned as I traveled and took part in rituals where it's not just lighting a candle, right? It really is something that is holistic 360. It's the scent, it's the intention, it's the fire, and then it's the ritual element of it. So incorporating all of this really allows you to get grounded in your intention of having a great flight and feeling good. Interesting. All right. And what is the final tip for a flight? Yes. So I'm trying to think of which one is like the best one to give you. Um, I'm like, <laughs> and then we're going to, well, I want to give the silly one that you give. I, actually, it's not that silly. A lot of airlines now are charging people for carry on bags. So you brought a pillowcase 
to the Women's Travel Festival. This is a tip you found on TikTok, and it's not the fifth tip you'll give on beauty, but can you tell why people are carrying pillowcases on planes now? Well, that's so funny because actually my fifth tip is attached to that one, and it's to bring a silk pillowcase. So not just any pillowcase, bringing a silk pillowcase, I love, 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 because the silk is very delicate on the skin and on the hair. Mm. So let's say you put the silk pillowcase while you're flying behind you. That's actually making your hair unfrizzy. It's making it look better and shinier because there's some sort of silk energy that like really works with that. Also, I love bringing my own pillowcase when I travel because, you know, we're travelers and you don't have to worry about has this pillowcase been clean? Has this bed been clean? I can't tell you how many hostels I've stayed in where I'm like, I am questioning if this was all washed. Mm. So I love bringing a silk pillowcase where I can put it down it's like my comfort zone. like, And I also know that it's doing good stuff for my skin and my hair as I'm sleeping on it. So there's a whole well, movement of silk. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I interviewed a sleep expert a while ago. And she said that that one of the things, one of the main reasons why people don't sleep so well on the road is their lizard brain. Uh, you know, their ancient, ancient brain is very aware that they're in a new place. Mm. And and there could be danger. And the lizard brain apparently gets triggered most by smell. So if you can recreate the smells of home, you're mm. going to be more likely to have a good night's sleep. And I would think having the pillowcase from home would do that. I love that. I'm going to add that as well, because yeah, I can definitely see how that works. But the silk pillowcase is, is really a hack that um that I love. Yes. But, 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 The other hack is one that's financial. This is hilarious to me. I mean, because so many airlines now are charging extra for a carry-on bag, people are simply putting their clothes in their pillowcases and pretending it's a pillow for the flight. (laughs) Exactly. So I call it a double whammy where it's like you're getting your silk pillowcase for your beauty needs as you're flying and traveling, but then you're also saving on a carry-on bag by filling up that little silk pillowcase with with your carry-on clothes if you're going for a weekend trip. Or if you're kind of like a traveler with me that I pack very light, you throw that into your um, you throw that into your pillowcase, and then no one's going to know that you have a whole wardrobe in there. Especially, you know how much you can fit in a pillowcase. You know, there, there's yeah. a lot. So Ooh, absolutely. So it's definitely a little hack that uh, that I learned on TikTok that I'm that I'm definitely going to try out next time. Interesting. Well, it's been such a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Frommer Travel Show. Thank you for having me. I look forward to hearing more of your adventures, but a beauty lens Uh, now. Yes, absolutely. And that's it for this week's show. I thank you all for listening. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Watching cable.